Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This week on The Vergecast, our friend Lauren Good returns from Wired. We talk about the Surface Duo. We talk about new Amazon Halo fitness tracker. We talk about TikTok, Apple versus Epic. The whole thing. It's coming up now on The Vergecast. Hello and welcome to The Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the Vox Media flagship podcast empire. See if I just say it's the flagship of... They can't get in trouble. You see what I'm I'm doing here? It's very clever. No. Hi, I'm Neil. I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I'm your antagonist, I guess. That's great. That's what you want on a show, some spice. We had a special guest today. Lauren Good is here. Welcome, Lauren. Hi. I guess that makes me your neutral party. Your media. (laughs) Yes, that's what we want. Uh, Notable (laughs) Verge trader Lauren Good is here. Welcome. (laughs) Lauren, is it wired now? You got a new show. We got to talk about that. There's all kinds of tech news to talk about. But I always start... Uh, with two things. Dieter, you did this last week. I did. Yeah. I think I kept the count correct, actually. <laughs> Who knows? Forever ago, uh, 24 weeks, according to the rundown here, Donald Trump held up a flow. Well, Dr. Deborah Brooks held up a flow chart with Donald Trump looking on uh, a flow chart of when a website from Google, I think 45,000 Google engineers are going to work <laughs> on this website. You would log into it. You would do a symptom checker. You would drive through a test. Test results would come back on a. It doesn't exist. Verily is trying, you know, the division of alphabet that isn't, you know what I'm saying. It's just still very small. No national testing strategy in place. That is a big piece of the COVID puzzle. Still waiting for that. But there is some other COVID news on the site. We always start with just a quick rundown. Uh, the FDA has authorized a uh, fast $5 COVID-19 test from Abbott Labs. We've got a great piece on that that actually details how it works. Check that out on the site. Uh, FDA has also, this is a little bit more controversial, authorized convalescent plasma to treat COVID-19 Lots of questions about pressure being put on the FDA right now, but all that's on the site. Flu season about to start. We got a big story on the site about um, flu season overlapping uh, with COVID-19 and symptom monitoring and testing. All of that is going to be more challenging when the flu is also in season. That's coming up. And then the other big story in the world that we constantly talk about and check in on is obviously the movement for racial justice in this country. I will just admit I am very biased. I was just saying to Lauren before we began, I can barely look at the current set of news about this in Kenosha, Wisconsin, because I am from Racine, Wisconsin, and I grew up just miles away from where this is happening in Kenosha. That's where my mom works. Um, But there's obviously big protests in Kenosha. Um, Police shot Jacob Blake in the back seven times. Then there was another shooting. Uh, Two protesters died. Our piece of the puzzle here is that uh, Facebook had complaints about 
groups, events on Facebook, possibly inciting some of this violence. They chose not to take them down, and then it took them down, which is about a classic of a Facebook pattern as exists. We're just going to keep living in that pattern for a long time. But I always want to start the show by pointing out those are the two big stories in the world. Those are the stories that will change the world after 2020. Um, it's all over the site. We're covering it very deeply. We care about it a lot. There's a lot of tech news to talk about, and we hear from the audience constantly uh, that people need a break. And quite frankly, with this one, I kind of do too. So I'm excited to talk to Dieter and Laura about tech news. One more plug before we begin. Uh, Casey and I talked to Jeremy Stoffman, the CEO of Yelp, on the interview podcast about antitrust, about competing. Uh, check that out. It was a really good one. Jeremy hasn't talked to a lot of people since all of this began. So uh, go go listen to that one. We pushed him pretty hard. It, one thing I'll call out, I'm actually interested to see what you two think of this. Uh, like Yelp is to small businesses as Google is to Yelp. Yeah. And that's just a tough place for Jeremy to be. Well, I worry that he's spicy, too spicy, and that biases his reviews towards the restaurants because he was very <laughs> spicy on that podcast. Yeah. I mean, if you're a small business owner, like Yelp is some giant of search that you have no influence over. And if you're Yelp, Google is some giant of search that you have no influence over. It's, it's the same problem all the way down. So we got into that. It was very interesting. I think kind of understanding this antitrust moment requires talking to kind of everyone at every level of the stack. And Yelp is like right in the middle of it. So check it out. That was the interview episode this past week. All right, let's talk about some tech news. I want to talk about the. I want to start with this Amazon Halo. Oh God. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. I want to talk about Flight Simulator. Uh, Dieter has a Surface Duo uh, mm-hmm. that he's only allowed to talk about the hardware with right now. I think yeah. there's all kinds of stuff. But the Amazon Halo seems very. Dieter's just read. Go ahead. I'm so excited. Okay, we're gonna play a game. I'm gonna describe a fitness gadget and. Lauren and Neelai, you're going to either, like, you're going to react. And most of your reactions are going to start in one place, and they're oh, going to end in another place. Okay, so, step one. It is a fitness band that uh, does not have a screen and has the usual array of sensors. Accelerometer, barometer, heart rate monitor, and also a temperature sensor. Fitbit. That's what came to mind. I don't know, you said to react, so yeah. I'm thinking, like, the, earl- the earliest versions of Fitbit. But yeah. without a screen, so it's like a super boring Fitbit, right? Right, right. Like an old Fitbit. Like right. a charge. Or what was it called? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like a force or something like that. Yeah. Uh, they work with the American Heart Association so that they don't just count your steps. They give you an abstracted activity score that uh, pays attention to how intense your workout is. Uh, but actually, you have to manually enter your workouts because it can only automatically track running and walking. Uh, and if you sit for more than eight hours, it starts deducting your score. And they only give you your activity ring for the entire week so that if you take a rest day, you don't feel like you're being punished by your Apple Watch. Okay. Okay, so like a, a like a less intense version of Apple Watch. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it tracks your sleep, and uh, if uh, if it detects that your sleep is bad, it will give you cute little recommendations in the form of these things called labs, where it uh, suggests that you change your habits in order to sleep better, like quit drinking at night or kick your cat out of the room. Like I need a fitness band to tell me that. Yeah. Like how does it know? <laughs> I feel like you could just tell anyone in America to be like, stop drinking so much at night. It would yeah. work right now. You should sleep better during this pandemic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if that were the end, we would just, uh, the story would be Amazon made a fitness band. They just made the, the thing that Amazon does, which they just made a cheap version of the thing that everybody else has so that Amazon has one. The end. Hooray. Next up, there's a feature called Body. You take your smartphone and you prop it up on your dresser and then you get down into your underwear and then you stand in front of your smartphone whilst it takes pictures of you in your underwear, all four sides. And then 
those pictures of you are uploaded to uh, AWS, Amazon's cloud, <laughs> and Amazon does some calculations on them to take those pictures and turn them into a direct 3D model of your body. Hmm. And then it uses machine learning on that 3D model based on extensive knowledge of people with a uh, similar you know, height and build as you to calculate your body fat percentage in such a way that they say it's more accurate than your standard like smart scale that uses the you know electricity between your heels or whatever and it approaches the uh, accuracy of like stuff you can get in a full on hospital or full on like you know gym or something that where you like go mm. weigh yourself underwater or whatever so this is creepy and i probably should have a better reaction than this is creepy <laughs> but there is a timeline for this right if you go back just a few years there was a company called naked labs that was doing you know consumer-facing 3D body scans that I wrote about for Wired. And I think the year prior to that, in 2017, Amazon actually had acquired a company called Body Labs that TechCrunch wrote about that was doing this kind of 3D body scanning. And Mm -hmm. then you guys also very clearly remember, because I think I wrote about this for The Verge, um, that Amazon did the Echo Look. Yes, that's the thing that I thought of. Yes, which took a photo of you in your clothing, not (laughs) naked, although I I suppose you could have stood in front of it naked if you wanted to. It would have been like, wear some clothes. Right. Neil, do you remember this? I actually brought yeah. it to the New York office and, and had you stand in front of it. And and yeah, and like take, you take a photo of your different outfits. Did it, did it recommend, Neil, I wear something other than black? Was it that its recommendation? <laughs> Add some color. It was just my mom, which has made a phone call to my mom. And my mom was like, will you wear some colors? I think that you were wearing a tie that day. Is that even possible? You used to wear ties a lot. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So we'll have to go back and read this review on TheVerge.com. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes for the podcast. But it seems inevitable. I guess it's a long way of saying it seems inevitable that at some point Amazon was going to do something increasingly creepy with this technology. Well, so the look failed, right? It It didn't go off. Like, nobody bought one. Like, the return on the investment of put a camera in your bedroom and let Amazon take photos of you and tell you what clothes to... Like, no one thought that was a good deal. I feel like it's a substantially worse deal to be like, take semi-naked photos of yourself and then Amazon will tell you you're fat. Like, I'm not, why would you pay money for that experience? <laughs> so the the good news is the images don't stay on Amazon servers. They get deleted within 12 hours. Is that good news? That That's just some news. It's some news. It's better <laughs> yeah. news than if they kept them, right? But I haven't gotten to the part that is a complete freak out for me. Which is once you have your 3D scan of your body and you can like look all around and see the whole thing, there is a slider, a little, you know, slider thing on the screen and you can slide your finger up and down on the slider and it will add to or reduce the amount of body fat on the 3D representation of your body to show you what you would look like if you gained more body fat or lost body fat. So, I mean... But then can I use that in a series of online avatars and profiles? <laughs> that would be valuable. Like, what are you supposed to infer from that? It's supposed to in- incentivize you to, like, work out. You can see what you would look like if you lost some weight or you'd see if you look like if you bulked it. Like, and maybe you, you, like, save a series of them over time so you can see your, you know, your before and your after or something is the idea. I think there's an argument to be made that maybe in 2019 this would be received very differently. But in the context of this massive pandemic that we're living through right now um people's idea of like health and particularly this this idea that like you should just take control of your health and the consumer consumerization of healthcare and it's it's all it's all your fault uh if something goes wrong is is like increasingly sort of out of step with with what we actually need to address in health right now (laughs) yeah yeah i I mean i again my 
maybe I'm just like an old guy. My sense of when or why anyone should send unclothed pictures of themselves to a corporation is just maybe a little bit more puritanical than <laughs> the world. I I'm still going with never. Like that's yeah. just never the value of that, right? Like I mean, I can see why you would build tools like this to give people more control. But what what do we know about all these fitness <laughs> trackers? They all need to pro- provide some massive amount of value over the Apple Watch in order to break in. Right. And like, so if this is the set of value that, if this is a set of things that Amazon thinks is more valuable than the watch, it's like, it's cheap, it's a little bit more gentle, and it has this other feature, I would still tell most people with an iPhone to buy an Apple Watch. The, pl- the place where my mind immediately went and where a bunch of people in my mentions are, are have gone is people with a body dysmorphic disorder or people might have anorexia or some other mm-hmm. self-image issue. Uh, the idea that you could, like obsessively look at a 3D scan of your body and like reduce the amount of body fat on it digitally and just like have that be part of your exercise app or your fitness app is uh, pretty troubling to me. Um, I asked Amazon about this and they said that there's some safeguards in place. Um, It won't show uh, dangerously low levels of body fat on the scans. Uh, It's not available to anybody that's under 18 years of age. And uh, if you do, like, have low bo- levels of body fat in your scan or whatever, uh, they do start popping up warnings about the health implications of not having enough body fat. Nevertheless, uh, it seems like that's, like, that's the sort of thing that I just, I don't know, it's troubling. It's, it, there, there are lots of examples of these, like, fitness tracking apps and fitness trackers getting misused by people uh, who, like, mm-hmm. have body issues. Yeah, I think those are really... Those are very, very valid concerns. But I think the thing I'm trying to get my head around is that those are not necessarily new concerns either. Because right. as I mentioned, there have been body scanning technologies available to consumers prior to this. And Liz Lopato from The Verge has actually done some really excellent reporting, too, on on how these consumer wearables could contribute to body dysmorphia um, problems. But I think my question is still around like the timing of it. Like, why now? And if Amazon was going to be offers some real value like i would love to see them include an spo2 sensor um Mm -hmm. that's -hmm. something that we really haven't seen done very well in a consumer wearable yet and and like that's something that would actually be really valuable at this moment in time or is it i mean look we know based on our reporting experience that products are in the pipeline for like at least 8 to 24 months before something hits the market so this has obviously been in the works for a while but um it might just—it just might have been more valuable if it had a different feature set at this point. Yeah, it does have a temperature sensor, but I don't think it, it like works like in the moment. In the same, there's um there's a bunch of heart rate monitors, early heart rate monitors that worked like this, where you couldn't like you couldn't just say what's my heart rate right now, but it would like track it over time. So this thing tracks your temperature mostly when you sleep, and so when you wake up in the morning after it's gotten three days to see what your baseline is, you'll be able to see if your temperature was higher or lower than you know, your normal. And so that might tell you that you might have a fever coming before you realized it or something. Um, final feature. Well, we're going to skip labs, which is like there go experiments. stuff. actually, maybe we'll get to that, but final feature it's called tone. Uh, when I saw this in the first screenshot of the app, like, Oh, muscle tone. That's great. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a microphone and it listens to you all the time. And uh, none of this ever gets uploaded 
anywhere, but uh, periodically it will listen to your voice and it will send that voice over Bluetooth to your phone and then your phone will do a little processing on it. And it will tell you if you are positive or less positive or you're high energy or you're low energy or you sound frustrated or annoyed or happy or apologetic or whatever. And it will show you moments throughout the day when it thinks it knows what your emotional state was and like lets you know if you were like being a jerk to your family or not. Why? <laughs> like th- this sounds like someone at Amazon read uh, like a PhD thesis, you know, and they like bought the research and they hired the researcher and they built this feature and they're like, that's what people want. Yeah. But like, what, like what is the, one of the things about all these devices that I, I've long been confused about is at the end of the day, going back and like reviewing what happened that day from like a data perspective offers you almost no insight, right? If you're like, if the thing is like, you were angry at noon. It's like, yeah, I, I definitely know. But what if you didn't? What if like, it turns out you, that you didn't realize that your, your tone of voice was like accusatory or whatever at noon. And then <laughs> you go back and like, what the hell happened at noon? And you're like, oh, I was, I was talking to so-and-so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say, I would actually say that I have found it helpful to have historical data Mm-hmm. Um, and coming from the perspective of a woman, one thing that you get asked a lot when you go to the doctors is when was your last period? And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, let me look that up. And then there's often like a lot of um, corresponding data that accompanies that. And um, if no one has talked about their period on the Vergecast before, I'm very happy to be the first person to do that right now. But but yeah, like, I mean, th- there are things that or you, you think about the last time you weren't feeling well and maybe you had a doctor's appointment and then you look up your health app and you're like, oh, yeah, and actually like my blood pressure was high that day or whatever it might be. Um, I do find that to be useful from a historical perspective. That said. But that time series is longer. Right? That, that's, that's what I mean. True. Right. Like the minute to minute of a day tracking. I just like don't like I, um, I, I used to use a sleep tracker app. Now I just wake up in a panic at 7 a.m. on the dot like. I'm just like, what's going to happen now? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just like pure panic awake. Uh, But I used to use uh, sleep cycle on the iPhone. And, you know, like the minute the overnight data of like you snored for 20 minutes is like useless. You get to six months of data and like the weird correlations just show up. Right. And so I, I do think that's valuable. I just think like this, like it telling you that your tone of voice is you, you were angry at 3 p.m. And to get that data, you have to have an open microphone all of the time. Yeah. That seems completely backwards to me. Yeah. And and also, like, if anyone truly is wondering how I sound most days, I'm just going to say stressed. Like, I, I don't <laughs> need a wearable to tell me that. I'm like, we are living through stressful times. Yeah. Amazon is like, you had Zoom voice again. It's like, yeah, yeah. I know. I get it. Yeah. I haven't, um, I haven't actually, I can't verify this. I had, I had one person DM me and say I, I, that this person was a beta tester. And this person said that um, during the beta test that you had to push the microphone to have a test. And the thing only ever said that this person was angry. Just not. <laughs> I was like, maybe I was angry that I like was beta testing this. I don't know, but like nonstop angry. Um, the thing that's that people are talking to me about, on, about this tone thing is it's one thing for, um, I don't know me to have my gadget tell me, uh, you know, your tone is bad. Uh, it's quite another thing for somebody else to be told their tone is bad. Like the, one of the things that happened when I was writing this story is people like, Oh, it's tone policing. And it's like, Ooh, it is. But the, the phrase tone policing and what it actually means is so like fraught for me to just like throw that phrase into this gadget would have been like, it, that's what it is, but not really, but I can't do. And 
<laughs> actually uh, asked Amazon, what about people with uh, different accents or different genders? Mm-hmm. And uh, the response is, it's a high priority for us. And I want to quote this. Um, if you have an accent, you can use tone, but your results will likely be less accurate. Tone was modeled on American English, but it's only day one and will continue to improve. Oh, they threw out the day one line. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, Amazon also always capitalizes the D in day one, oh, which... No. <laughs> Heavy sigh. <laughs> well, it's early um, days for Google, and it's always day one for Amazon. Amazon, yeah. What is the purpose? Like, what's the what's the thing you're supposed to learn? So here is my thesis. Imagine you're like a dad, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you know you need to go to the gym, but you know what? Honestly, you're not gonna. And like, you could get a fitness band, but it's just gonna make you feel bad because you like aren't like actually going out and hardcore exercising. You just want to be a little bit more active. And you know you should sleep better, but whatever. And you know you're starting to get a little bit of a gut, and maybe it'd be a little bit helpful to like you know get a little motivation to get rid of it. I feel attacked. This is bad. Maybe you're yelling at your kids. And like, you don't know it because like, you're like kind of, maybe you're just stressed out and like, it would be helpful for something to tell you if you're like being kind of mean to your kids. Like, I feel like this thing was just like, it's like the ideal device for like a dad and a nightmare for like a, a teenage woman. Right. Like that's, that's what, that's how I see this thing. Yeah. It's like all the overstressed Amazon executives are like, that's what I need. Yeah. Sounds like um, from the way Dieter wrote about it, too, that it's also designed to be a little bit more of a passive device because it doesn't have it doesn't have GPS. It doesn't have Wi-Fi. It Correct. didn't have something. Well, as you said, it has the microphones that are listening. You can mute the microphone. The microphone doesn't record anything other than snippets of your voice. It tries to only listen for you and it deletes those things right away. So like you don't interact with the thing. There's no display. It's just right, like there's no there. Screen. You yeah. don't set it into like exercise mode. Like you're not like I'm cycling now. No, you've got to do that in the app. And like you can't even like like I don't know triple tap the button to be like it's time to go use the rower or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a totally passive tracker and I think that the yeah, the the target audience you're describing is probably Probably somewhat accurate. Well, you know, there was like a, in the early days of Fitbits, I had a bunch of friends who would wear a regular watch and a Fitbit on like different wrists. And I, all of that has f- faded away as people got smartwatches. I always think about it in the same framework as the first Apple Watch, which was a mess. And like Apple knew it and they've rebooted the prod- product like significantly. But it didn't do very much or anything very well for the amount of care that you had to give it. Like, just beyond, like, charging it and wearing it at your wrist all the time, like, it was messy and hard to use. And, like, do you remember that the, just, like, the home screen interface was, like, 15 different swipes to lead to 15 different navigation paths? Yeah. And so, like, there was not value there, but it had notifications from iMessage. And it had some rudimentary health tracking stuff. And that value was, like, very high. And then Apple refined the product down to be just those things in one generation. And now they've been slowly layering in there's an app store that nobody uses. There's some other stuff it can do. Right. There's GPS. There's waterproofing. There's EKG. Right. But that core exchange of why are you going to strap this battery to your wrist and then worry about the life of that battery. Right. And like so, know about how to use this computer too. Yeah. The core exchange has always been notifications and health stuff. And so if you come in and all you have is health stuff, you have to find a target market of people who want your specific version of it without the other massive value of having a computer on your wrist. So the battery lasts a week. So mm-hmm. that's helpful. It's not demanding of you other than like you got to wear it. Um, 
And if you want, you can uh, share your health records with, uh, you know, your Cerner or whatever compatible electronic record system. Or uh, you could, like, take part in, like, the John Hancock Life Insurance Wellness Program or something and get, you know, weird discounts on stuff. Uh, so it's possible that, like, the motivation here is you get, like, ambient information on how you can improve your lifestyle. You, like, start changing your habits because you take part in these lab challenges. And uh, you get, uh, I don't know, a discount on your life insurance. So Amazon is positioning it in a way that it's not – it positions its other products effectively, which is – we're going to promise you a certain level of convenience. And at the same time, we're going to have a tremendous amount of data on you. And it might be kind of rudimentary to start, but it's going to improve. And you have to figure out, and I'm going to use this word, my, my coworker, Sydney from Wired, used this word in our Gadget Lab podcast taping. You have to figure out the calculus yeah. that works for you. And that calculus is how much convenience you are willing to trade for potentially your the erosion of your own privacy. And that's like, that's kind of what, that's kind of, it's like what a lot of things are, right? Like when you go to the Amazon website now, it is actually not a great consumer experience. And we've seen Amazon's, you know, model of convenience sort of threatened in the time of the pandemic, right? With like delivery times changing and everything else. But like, you still have to make that calculus, whether it's worth it to you to like use Amazon as a service. And we've seen that with some other products that have come out. We certainly see it with like Alexa and the Echo. And so this like wearable is like, is also somewhat emblematic of that. All of which, by the way, this thing is 100 bucks. It's like 65 bucks for an intro program. And it's it four is. bucks a month. Like it's a subscription. There's a subscription fee? Yeah. Yay, subscription. That's it. And uh, let's move on. There's another, f- I can't, I don't even want to talk about this anymore. Don't buy it. I want to talk about this the whole show. <laughs> well, there's another, there's a Fitbit. Yeah. They, what, they, they added a temperature sensor on it and then it can like, tell you to meditate, tell you to like stop being so stressed and breathe. That's otherwise it's a Fitbit. There, oh my there's two goodness. Versions For the it. umpteenth time, I do not need these wearables to tell me I'm stressed. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I do think that, I mean, Lorna, to your point, obviously the product, the product ramps here are very long, right? But the opportunity to somehow engage with the COVID testing, tracing, it's all sitting here for these companies. You want to get people to drop their Apple watches or their Samsung watches for your thing. Just like, right, that uh, that Pulse SPO2, right? Pulse Ox, is mm-hmm. that what that is? Mm-hmm. Just add that sensor. And then people will be like, yes, this is valuable in this time for me. And I, we just haven't seen it. There's like some glimmers of it out there. But all these products seem like they're just from a different, and they are, but they just seem like they're from a different time with different priorities. Yeah, the way that researchers are sort of triangulating this data right now, and Fitbit is part of a large research program through Scripps, and I know that other trackers like Aura, the Aura Ring, are also part of these these research projects right now, is that they're taking, researchers are taking all of the other data that they gather, right, like skin temperature, heart rate, and things like that, and sort of triangulating it to say, like, to grab those bio- biomarkers and say there was some kind of variation right now in this data, which could point to X, which could point to X, which could mean that you have COVID. But it's still these steps away from actually identifying, I think, some of the key metrics that would indicate that you're you're very, very sick. Um, but they're working on it. And I actually do think the hardware is it's going to get there. Yeah. yeah. My, my big question with the, the, like Google is still like waiting around to, to get permission to finish the deal to buy Fitbit. And so like where... Are they just going to like keep making Fitbits? Are they going to like keep the software? Like, 
you know, a Fitbit, I don't know how long people realistically expect one of these things to last. And I'm sure it'll be supported even if Google gets the acquisition and whatever. But it's just like, what's the plan here? Is this the last Fitbit before the Google acquisition? I don't know. It's weird. I think, I think Google is just generally happy that Amazon introduced a thing to make it seem like, look at all this competition. Of course we can buy Fitbit. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have a plan beyond that? Like, who knows? All right, we've talked a lot about wearables. There is lots of other hardware to talk about, but we got to take a break. We'll come back, and then Dieter's going to tell us all about his new gaming laptop. Oh, my gosh. I'm very excited about this. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Dieter, you've got a very special phone that you're only allowed to talk about half of. Yeah. So we have, uh, they have sent out, Microsoft has sent out the review units for the Microsoft Duo Android phone. Uh, I got one. I got mine late because it took the courier a long oh, time man. to show up. <laughs> they did that on purpose for that you. That was so great. It's just the best. <laughs> and uh, the rules of uh, Microsoft's embargo is that I can tell you whatever you want to hear from the experience of looking at and, I don't know, using this thing with the screen off and all of the screen on information has to come at the embargo time, you know, when when reviews are allowed to be published, which will be... And I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say what the embargo time is, but I can tell you that, like the thing we all know that the thing is getting released on September 10th. So, and why tracks. do they want why do they want this to be screen off so far? Well, that's a really interesting question. It's it's possible that there's something that they would they would rather have people talking about how nice the hardware is for two weeks than anything else. That's a possibility. It could be. They just they they know that the Fold Two is uh, out in the world, and there's going to be a big announcement from Samsung, so they want some kind of information out there. Um, there's lots of lots of possibilities, and I, I you would you know you'd have to ask Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> so they've seen it a lot of these. That's yes. the other thing that is important, which I think is telling in a variety of ways. My very fancy box said it was like a, one of the first fifty, and I I guarantee you there's more than fifty of these in the world. My colleague Julian has one too. There you go. Do you think yeah. some people got a box that's like 
one of the first 100 and oh, they were just hoping so dark. <laughs> like, they just segmented it like some people got one of the first 10 yeah and like you're just in waves well what is it what what's it like uh when it's closed it is very thin it's really not that much thicker than like a smartphone with a camera bump if you like count the camera bump and put it across the whole thing it is very wide like it you can hold it in one hand Pretty much, especially if like you open it up and there's bezels and you can like grab it by the bezel. Um, but if you have the thing folded in half, um, it's super wide. And so like imagining usually, you know, phones are relatively narrow. And so you scroll, but like having it be wider is weird. Um, the hinge feels great. You know, it uh, it feels like the same friction. I don't know. Resistance all the way through the turn. It came with plastic bumpers. Why? I don't know. I mean, I, I imagine there's going to be hard to find cases, so Microsoft felt like they had to include something. Google did the same thing with the Fold. Part of me is a little tiny bit worried they included plastic bumpers because they know that like people are going to be clacking Ooh. them shut, and maybe that'll be a problem. I, I don't know. It's glass in the front and the back. I know that like some people were a little bit surprised with that because it looks so like gray and metal in photos. You don't realize it's glass, but it's glass. You know. It's um, it's very thin. It's it's very elegant. It's very unclear to me if um, this is the shape of thing that I want or not. Does it fit in your back pocket? It fits better in my back pocket than it does in my front pocket because it is so wide. It feels sort of weird in my front pocket, but it's like it's like back pocket sized. Is yeah. this thing safe to sit on? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I know you can't talk about the screen on experience, but notably, mm-hmm. there's no screen on the front. Or the outside, or the whatever. outside, right? Yeah. So, but so that feels safe to talk about because there's no screen at all. See <laughs> what I'm getting at? Uh, how? What's the vibe of being done with it? That's uh, the thing I'm most excited about. This phone is that you can be done with it. You can close it, and it goes away, and it's a little notebook. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I have to like use it to tell you what it feels like to stop using it. Uh, but it is, it's nice hmm. to like just close. I nice really to, like, tried to lawyer my way into that one. Set it on I the don't table. think it um, One thing <laughs> I am curious about is like, I'll tell you what, trying to like open it up one-handed is uh, a, a scary nightmare. You cannot do it one-handed. You really can't. And like, you, you think you'd like maybe wedge a finger in there and like flip it out or whatever. Nope. You, it's two hands, which makes me wonder if, uh, that's like annoying enough where if you just want to check something quick and you want to be able to use it one-handed, if I'm going to start like having it open all the way 360 so that the screen's on both sides and start using the phone that way, you know what I mean? And then like having my mm-hmm. pocket with both screens exposed. like So you can see the time. It seems more dangerous, but it also seems like it'd be a hell of a lot more convenient if I just want to pull the thing out and check a text message. But you're, you ha- your regular phone is in your pocket with the screen exposed all the time. Right, but now there's two screens exposed, so ooh. But that's why you have plastic bumpers. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been using the pen at all? Uh, I uh, I can't say if 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 I have or not, given the on-screen experience. But it is compatible with a Surface Pen. I think that's one of the reasons it's so expensive is they like needed to like have a screen that works with like the traditional Surface Pens. Um, I really think this thing costs too much. Yeah, already we talked about that before. But it's like fourteen hundred bucks. Like, man, that's a lot. Yeah. Well, so, okay, the move here, if people have questions about the duo, they should uh-huh. tweet at you at Backlon. Yeah, that's and right. Then those, we can address those questions in the review for the, sc- the screen on experience. You're, just, you're taunting me with this thing. I don't know what to tell you. The problem that I have is that if we weren't on the podcast, I could just ask you about what the software's like, but we're on the, this is horrible. So <laughs> we're just going to wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> That's it for the Vergecast. We should everybody. close it. Be done. <laughs> oh, I really missed you guys. You're such a great duo. <laughs> uh, that was a burn. I just want to be honest, everybody. <laughs> okay, this is in context. You you mentioned the fold. There's yeah. the Galaxy Z Fold Two yep. is coming. You are both excellent product reviewers. I sometimes pretend to be a product reviewer. I watched this video, this Chinese YouTube video that's a review of the Z Fold 2, mm-hmm. and I kind of realized, like, maybe we shouldn't make videos with words in them. Just as, <laughs> like, obviously I don't speak or understand Chinese, but, like, I got so much out of this reviewer's, like, tone and inflection and just, like, seeing him use the thing. Yeah. But I was like, why do I talk in reviews at all? <laughs> You just have to make noises. Oh, you know what? Our reviews should just be uh, music, and then it will be the the chart showing um, the the halos reading of our emotional state as oh we God. do it, and it'll just horrible. be a, a graph of our emotional state overlaid over B roll of the gadget. That's what everybody wants. Everybody yeah. wants to watch a graph of our emotions <laughs> during a review. I love uh, this. The point, the point out here is the Z Fold 2 isn't out, but there is a review in from a Chinese YouTuber that you can go watch right now. There's a link on the site. Watching this, here's, here are the two things I noticed. The design seems just far superior. Superior to the prior Fold. Okay. Oh, yeah, for sure. The big screen on the front seems like a ma- massive improvement. The hardware design itself is refined. It's a little less squared off. It's a little smoother. The um, Not having the camera indentation on the screen, having the hole-punch camera, like... Just big improvements to sort of yeah. the user experience, the, the human feeling of the device, just from watching a regular person flip it around and use it. Everything else seems like the same deal to me. Same set of software problems, same set of Samsung stuff happening. At one point, this reviewer uh, puts it in tent mode and then like mm-hmm. has Google Maps running while it's like on the dashboard of his car. And it's like, I'm not going to use my $2,000 delicate phone propped up on the dash of my car to navigate. But does that seem like a good idea? It just doesn't Maybe. seem like where I'd want to put my phone. Yeah. Uh, so that that to me is like the context of all these flippy phones is you have to develop a killer use case for them, which is even harder when you're at home. Lauren, I think you, you've written about this several times. Like we're just at home. The sale of, of so many of these gadgets is like harder than ever. Right. And it's opened the window for a lot of other technologies. I mean, there's a shortage of Chromebooks right now and people are asking all the time what monitor they should get for working from home and they're investing in speakers for home. And um, there's a lot of opportunity there for the consumer electronics market. But yeah, the entire pitch we've heard over the past two years of these foldable devices is like for people on the go, when you're on the go, when you need something that um, you can you can like use in your pocket to send a text. And then when you get on the plane, you unfold it in the, you know, in the tray and you watch a movie on it or you're going to bed at night and you don't want to talk on the phone anymore, but you want to watch something on it like it's a tablet or to use it as a reading device or you get to your office and you dock it um, and it's like a second screen. All of these use cases, like they've totally changed and they've changed for the foreseeable future. And so these companies, particularly Microsoft, had to like change its messaging around like like Panos, you know, was saying like. And you guys were in the briefing too. Like, yeah, I love it. Like when I, you know, I take it from my desk to the couch to the patio. <laughs> it was just, it was such a different message from even just like six months ago. <laughs> like, wow, we're, we're no longer road warriors. Yeah, the thing that kept uh, like grabs me is um, for a, I used to ages ago in the Engadget era. Like, I used to work from home, and I only ever worked from home. Then I moved to New York, and I started going to the office. Now we're all at home again. And the thing that I remember 
like just an instant realization memory was, oh, I used to like have a room that I worked in and then I would leave that room and not work anymore. And now I just like have a phone and the work can chase me all over the house. So I have to like leave the thing. So I'm done with work. Right. Right. And like, I'm going to take my flippy Microsoft computer from the deck to the patio to the living room. It's like, no, that's the opposite of the thing I want. <laughs> it's like very much the opposite of how I want this experience to be. I want to leave my gigantic computer in this room, close the lid, walk away and be like, I'm done with work now. And I think a lot of people experiencing work from home are they've arrived over the course of these last few months at that realization. All of the digital well-being, time well-spent, screen time features are actually really bad at for most people at just turning off the work stuff. Like unless you are like working a massive corporation that has big metal ma- managing all of its devices and they've got all the work stuff in its own little protected silo on your phone, you know, like in Knox or the Blackberry Zone or whatever. Um, <laughs> Blackberry Zone. It's a thing. Uh, I, I forget what it's, it's called. called you know the zone. Mean. It's like a thing. It's like the the apps are in the workspace and they're like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't think it's separate. called the BlackBerry Zone. Well, maybe it should be because there is a new BlackBerry coming. <laughs> Emotions about that. Where was I going? Oh, it's hard <laughs> to turn the stuff off, right? It's hard. Yeah, yeah. To, you got to like remember, like turn off these notifications and like turn off that notification. There should just be a toggle. It's like turn work off, and it like runs through a script of like turning off a bunch of the stuff that would normally be incoming from work. Um, and because everybody uses different apps and different work apps, it's really hard to enable that sort of thing. To the effect of like, do people really want a big, like the big foldable screen at home? Like I have two thoughts about that. One, nobody cared about the Note 20 Ultra relative to previous big notes. Um, and I think that's part of it's just really expensive. And then my like, my counter thought is like the use case of having a big foldable screen is having a big screen. And I'm, I ever since like, Everybody in the world kind of got head faked by making fun of the very, very early versions of the Note. And then it turns out, oh, wait, no, everybody just wants a big screen. I'm a little bit hesitant to just dismiss things like the Galaxy Fold out of hand because if they can find a way to make the thing a reasonable price someday, then it may be that people want a big screen so badly they're willing to deal with all of the compromises that go with it. That's a great point. But I will also say, too, that there is the camera and Mm -hmm. the devices that we're talking about, particularly the Galaxy Fold, the Galaxy Z Fold and the Duo don't really have great camera experiences. So so at some point, going back to the calculus, you're going to have to make the calculus of whether or not you want a a screen that unfurls into a much larger screen or if you want something you can just like whip out of your pocket super quickly, press a side button and take a good take a really good photo. Yeah. You know, my perspective on the big screen thing is uh i think you want a big screen but you want the screen to get smaller and so i've always thought that the razor the z flip that's like that seems much more likely hmm. to to work itself out like that's the thing that you want you want a regular size phone but it actually gets smaller versus you have a pretty big phone and it gets even bigger and then the software of it being even bigger is just kind of confusing and weird yeah i mean man Will Android ever be good on big screens, on tablet-sized screens? That's like the question. It will they that, ever figure it out? The and I think part of the part of the reason that Google and Microsoft are kind of like doing the Surface Duo together in a way that seems much happier than you would expect is Google's like, well, we didn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
right? Like, <laughs> it's, it's like it's like Android has historically always been bad on tablets, but what if it's Android on two very little tablets that are attached to each other on a hinge? Yeah, like what if like what if Microsoft Word on the Surface Duo turns out to be the thing, right? What if the only way to use Excel the way that power users want to use Excel is on a folding Android phone? Does that sound like a killer app? To me, it does not. Are there like <laughs> an army of wealthy accountants out there who are like, yes, <laughs> maybe. And I, like, but the idea that Microsoft can actually build complete software experiences that take advantage of a new form factor UI paradigm, well, they can in a way that Google has not been able to get its kind of other army of software developers to try. And that, that's like an opportunity. I think that's, largely why Microsoft's first Android phone is not a phone, right? It's, or well, Panos will tell you it's not a phone, but it's a new form factor because I think the race is to get to that new form factor. And then what is the, what comes after that? Like, is the, after that, then Microsoft and Google work together to make a Microsoft Pixel C, which is like effectively a Surface tablet with Android? I, like, I wonder where it goes after that. Yeah, that, that middle zone is real tough, right? They've got yeah. the little surface. I mean, if this thing goes off and it works, then the real question is, between the laptop and the phone, what operating systems are going to live there? I think that's where that fight gets a lot dicier. But first, they have to make it clear that productivity on Android and the way that Microsoft wants it to be productive is even possible or a good idea. Right. right. We're very far from that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'll use the Duo and C, but... Um, <laughs> Android is very far from that. <laughs> and Chrome, like the Chrome OS Android mashup didn't work out like at all. At all. And you've got like a little Surface Go, right? I have a Surface Go here. I have a Surface Go 2, but um, I really haven't used it much, to be honest. Yeah, because you're at your house with your real laptop. Right. That's exactly right. right. And then and then I like to say now that our lives are like are structured by the different size screens we use. Like you wake up to a five point five to six inch screen and then you and then you graduate to a 13 inch screen or 15 inch screen for the day or maybe a monitor. And then and then like your your leisure time is like the 50 inch screen, which is your TV. And then you have like one more at night that you're like, what am I going to use? And for me, that's the 10 inch or I guess it's the 11 inch iPad. Mm -hmm. So like. The Surface Go would probably fit somewhere into that that structure of the day for me. And I'm like, well, I don't want to use a pen and use Microsoft software at that time of night. I want to like, <laughs> watch Netflix, you know? <laughs> I'm not doing spreadsheets at that point. Man, can you imagine, like, if Microsoft, we're going to talk about TikTok eventually, but if Microsoft buys TikTok and that's the sell of, like, all of their hardware is, like, the best TikTok device. Some more phones to talk about before we get to that. There's a picture of the Pixel 5 out there. I haven't seen it. What does it look like? It looks like a Pixel 4a. It, it it looks like a plastic pixel, like with a fingerprint sensor on the back and the whole deal. The specs have like gotten better over time in terms of the rumors. So it looks like it's going to have a good enough battery, good enough RAM. Getting rid of their face unlock is like, man, I don't even know how to feel about that. It's very strange. I will say that in the pandemic, the phone that I use more than anything else is actually a, a Samsung Galaxy S20 because it has a fingerprint sensor and it's not a hassle to unlock. Um, if I had an iPhone SE around, it would probably be that. Uh, so it, maybe they decided to do that, but I kind of doubt it. They, they had to make this decision a while ago. So to me, it's like when you start adding on the stuff you expect from a high-end Pixel, so 
higher refresh rate screen. Uh, we're expecting it to be the exact same camera with, by the way, the same camera sensor that they've used since I think the Pixel 2. Like, yeah. that's the rumor, which is ridiculous. Um, no face unlock. The processor will be like medium faster, maybe not technically fast as fast in the benchmarks as the Pixel 4. Like, well, how much should that cost? Because you can get a OnePlus 8 for like seven, 800 bucks. You can get a Galaxy S10 on sale or refurb for probably 600 bucks. Um, you can get a Pixel 4a, which is excellent, for 350 bucks. So how much Google thinks that they can get for this Pixel 5, which for all intents and purposes is like a mid-range phone with a good camera that doesn't have quite as nice specs as other mid-range phones with not quite as good cameras, is... Um, I don't know. That's that's going to be exciting to see. What if they just cancel the Pixel as a phone and just sell it as a camera? Sure. I mean, really? Like, I mean, are you, are you asking that? Like, like, should we actually map that out? Well, I was just looking at the um, the newer Canon cameras that can share directly to Google Photos, which is very interesting to me. It's like I'm a Nikon person, but would I switch for that? Maybe I would. But like, what if they just said this is actually just a camera with a cell connection and like carry this instead of whatever mid-range smartphone you have, and you'll take really excellent photos, and it'll be integrated with Google Photos. Like, wouldn't that be, like, just a more interesting product for them to release at this time versus another sort of weird Pixel phone? That's pretty cool. They tried that. It was the, 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 the clip, the clips. Yeah, but that thing was so weird. It was, like, automated, and the photos weren't that great. Samsung tried it. There was the Galaxy camera, which was literally just like a, a mid-range point-and-shoot with an Android <laughs> phone so, slap on the back of it. That was, that was like the ultimate in Samsung. Like two engineers from like different parts of the company like ran into each other in, in the kitchen, and they were like, <laughs> and they're, they were both carrying their their, their projects, and like <laughs> yeah. they ran into each other, they flew up into the air, and they landed on the ground in a pile. They're like, oh my god, what if we did this? There was a uh, there was a story. Ages, ages, ages ago, um, when the Motorola Rocker came out, the like Motorola iPod phone, that like Steve Jobs screwed Motorola because he announced that phone, and like minutes later he announced the iPod Nano. This is ancient history, but like there was definitely a story at the time that was like a much better version of the Rocker is to buy an iPod Nano and just tape it to the back of a Motorola Razor, and like you would just like get a better product, and like that was the Samsung phone. I'm saying, what if Google engineers it to the, like? They're like, this is the coolest camera you can get. Just think of all of like the Franken gadgets we're missing out on right now because engineers are not running into each other in kitchens at Google's campus. I got to start doing some just like uh, round table zooms with various engineers from companies <laughs> to seed horrible ideas. Uh, you can have that, a TikTok alarm clock. Oh, my God. I'm dying. Think about <laughs> it. Just wake up to a different like viral TikTok every morning. That would be uh, great, actually, because yeah. you would just hear the sound over and over again. You'd be like, I need this to stop. Yeah. I think the question for Google is how can they put out a phone that's differentiated? The last three of them have been mid-range forgettable phones. And as if the rumors are true, as you're saying, like the camera is not getting better. It's getting different, but the camera hardware is the same. The technique is the same. They're making different looks out of the algorithm, which is interesting. Yeah, but they're like, they're, they're perish, like they're, they're tiny differences. I don't think that, that it's evolving as much as we'd like to give them credit for. And, and then the video, I mean, we, speaking of TikTok, like we live in a video world now mm -hmm. and that video is not getting any better. Yep. How much would you pay for a device like that in LA? 
a, like a sick Google camera with great 4K video that well, like a like a Google camera that has yeah great 4K video takes great still photos, uploads immediately to Google um, Google Photos, and let's say it has like the Titan M security chip, so it keeps all of your your multimedia data secure or whatever it might be, and any biometrics you use to log on, and like that's pretty much it. You're not like playing games on it. You're not answering emails on it. Yeah, like I would happily pay like five hundred dollars for that thing, and that's like high. But I have a kid, right? Like we we take so many photos of our kid that we have maxed out our first twenty thousand image Google Smart Photo Library. Like what? Yeah, we had to like start a new one. It was like very funny. Oh my god! Um, Dave Lieb from Google Photos was tweeting me. He's like, "We gotta get rid of that limit." And I was like, "You do?" And I was like, "This is great." Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we take once you're in that zone where you're just like taking a ton of photos, like having a device that's more dedicated is great, especially if it has slightly better image quality than your phone. And so like Google yeah. can get there. I, the only reason I propose it, and maybe that's a total dud of a product, but at least it's not another mid range pixel that no one's going to buy. You know what I mean? Like at least it's a different attempt to get Google into your pocket in a way that is smart. What if they took it like one step further and made it the creator's phone? So you had like a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack so that you could plug in accept audio accessories. It did run Instagram, so you could upload things directly. It ran Instagram, TikTok, like all the major mm-hmm. platforms. Of course, there would be like an easy YouTube integration because Google YouTube. And what if it, yeah, what if that's how they marketed it? I mean, we've just walked ourselves all the way back to just having an Android phone. Like yeah, we basically we basically described a Galaxy S twenty like we're just we're there yeah. and all the creators are using iPhones anyway because that's right like I just think that how are you going to break into this market and differentiate yourself and if all you really have is your camera because it's still all they really have and a software experience that some people think is better but like on the like for most people not having a Samsung browser and a Google browser is not a reason to buy a phone. That's what we right. talk about because we're annoyed all the time. But like, whatever, they're clearly choosing Samsung phones in the market. Maybe you just stop stop saying it is the thing that it is and start saying it's something else and just see what happens. So here's what I want Google to do. Just start, just, just call them Nexuses again. Don't front like they are like meant to sell in big numbers. Don't front like you're going to compete with Samsung. The next time we talk to one of their executives and be like, hey, you said in five years it would be a market success. They'll be like, yeah, nope, it's never going to be a market success, but we're going to keep making them because <laughs> like, it's good to have like a, an exemplary phone. Like, If they just admitted, we just want to make a nice Android phone that we want to use that's exemplary to the market and that we can use to develop Android on. And because we're nice, we'll sell it to you if you want one. If they just did that, lowered expectations radically, then there would be like a group of people who like bought it because they like having that phone and that experience and it feels cool. And nobody would feel bad about it ever again. Yes, yeah, so they, they they create a scarcity around it, basically. Yeah. And say like, it's for these like special Pixel use drops. cases. Yeah. The problem is they spent a billion dollars or $3 billion, however much they spent on HTC. Which I guess for Google's like, you know, pocket money. Yeah, whatever. But like they did do that yeah. in an effort to make this better. All right. Once again, the Virtuous has devolved into just us complaining about the Pixel. There are two more phones I want to talk about. <laughs> There's a Sony Xperia 5 2, which is a horrible name, uh, 120 hertz display, and a headphone jack. That's honestly the only reason I'm going to bring it up. God bless them. Uh, yeah. And then uh, the Asus Zenfone 7 with the flippy camera. I'm just proud of them for competing in the camera lens wars. Now the flippy camera has three, three cameras. Yeah. Uh, I, mm. Should we talk about this LG Wing? 
Oh my God. It's yes. not on the list, but it's like the best phone of the week. What is it? Tell me, tell me. So it's a phone, like just imagine a phone <laughs> and then imagine the front of the phone, you rotate it, uh, but the back of the phone stays. So I'm holding it horizontally and then the front of the phone, you rotate vertically, but the back stays horizontal so that there's a vertical phone in front of you. And then there's a little bit of a screen sticking out to the side, like a wing, not two wings, just like a wing. And you just get like a little bit of an extra display there. Like you've seen like like vertical sliders, right? Where like you slide the phone up and there's a keyboard underneath. There's even been vertical sliders like you slide the phone up and there's like more display underneath. This is like you just rotate it and a, a screen like sticks out the side. Oh my God, I'm like, Neil, I just slacked it to me. This is incredible. incredible. And it's actually being used in this video as a GPS device, like an in-dash GPS device, which is pretty much like what it looks like. It looks, it looks that clunky. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it does look that clunky. It's great. I'm here for hardware innovation and phones. We got flippy phones. We got foldy phones. We got swiveling phones. Mm -hmm. We got phones with flippy camera lenses. Let's have it, people. We, we We spent 20 minutes talking about the Duo. LG makes a phone right now that you can go buy with a case that has a second screen on it with a big, you know, gap in the middle. It's the LG Velvet, pretty fine. And then you put the second screen on it and the experience of like trying to deal with the second screen is pretty not fine, <laughs> but you can do it. It's there for you. All right. Go look at the LG Wing and just imagine a world in which we were constantly switching for phone form factors and the software worked. There's a big asterisk and the software worked. And Matt, we could live in that world. And there's something to be said, too, about that explicit delineation between screens, Mm -hmm. right? Which is, like, what the Duo has to a point. But, like, this LG phone, I'm looking at it right now, and there is just no, there's there's no fluidity to this. There's no expectation of fluidity. It's just, like, you have two screens smacked against each other in (laughs) perpendicular format. We made a phone a T-shape. Is that what you want? Uh, I love it. Lauren, the next time you come back to the show, I expect you to be using an LG Wing. Okay, I want to. we got to take a break and come back. But before I do that, we have to talk about Flight Simulator. And Dieter, you, I promised them that we talk about this gaming laptop you bought. So just walk me, walk me through your situation. I bought, I bought, I'm sold, uh, I've sold my, I'm in the process of selling my Surface Pro X because I don't need an LTE enabled long battery life ARM based uh, Windows computer. Maybe nobody does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I bought the uh, laptop that uh, Monica Chin, our excellent laptop reviewer, recommended, which is the Asus ROG Zephyrus 14. Uh, Got a 1080p screen with a pretty good refresh rate on it. It does not have a webcam, which is delightful. And I am going to start uh, playing PC games again. It's been a super long time for me. So if you have recommendations of what games to play, I will put them on my list. I will tell you that the very top of my list is all of the Half-Life games, because, true story, never played them. Huh. So yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm also excited because like I want to start participating in like some of these like viral moments that are happening with games now. So there's Microsoft Flight Simulator where like everyone's playing it. They're going around. They're taking screenshots. They're taking little videos. It's really easy to take videos and screenshots off of games now. They're on Twitch. They're finding all sorts of weird things like towers that reach into space because somebody had a typo in some database somewhere. <laughs> um, people flew into the hurricane because they're like compatible with real-time weather data, which is amazing. And I'm also just going to play the hell out of Fall Guys. Have yeah. you guys been watching any of the Fall Guys stuff? Yes. I mean, I have a PS4, so I'm like ready to do it. And I just haven't done it yet, but I've been watching video after video of this game. It seems amazing. It is incredible. I'm so like, the fact that we can just have, I don't know, like it's like these games are 
it's so much easier to share and spread little clips of them and like get a little snippet of joy out of a video game that doesn't require you to like watch a four hour Twitch stream or be super into gaming. Like I could never play Fall Guys for the rest of my life, but still love that game and get a ton of like joy out of it just from watching little clips of other people having their little goon get knocked off of a thing in the, you know, weird version of the world that is Fall Guys. This is how I feel about Fortnite. I'm never going to be good at Fortnite, but I thoroughly enjoy watching other people play Fortnite. I'm really not gaming at all these days, guys, or ever for that matter. But I do appreciate oh. games as an art form, and I appreciate your enthusiasm <laughs> for them. Well, you don't need to be a gamer. That's the whole point. Like, you can go yeah. look at like the weird stuff that's happening in Microsoft Flight Simulator, and like it makes your life better. It makes you happy. I don't know. I love it. I mean, the clips I've seen shared on social are pretty cool. The the Flight Simulator thing. Does your new laptop play Flight Simulator? Uh, it better, or I'll be very unhappy. <laughs> uh, the Flight Simulator one to me is super interesting, right? Because the 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 it's, it'll eventually come out on Xbox, but right now the barrier to entry to Flight Simulator is like pretty high, right? Mm-hmm. You need a powerful PC, you need a fast connection. I mean, how is anybody playing it without flight controls? Like we we had a story last week that like flight control accessories, the rudder, the rudders, the joysticks, whatever, are selling out because so many people are playing Flight Simulator, like. That's crazy. If you're a company and you make like rudder pedals for a PC, you're never yeah. like, oh man, they're flying off the shelves, but like, this is your time. <laughs> and like, that's like the, the, that barrier to entry is very high. Like, most people cannot play Flight Simulator until it comes to Xbox and then everyone will. But right now, there's all this stuff happening in this virtual environment and you're sharing out of it. It's like a window into it. There's a thread of like errors today and like, there's. The game's amazing and all this stuff, but the errors are hilarious. Like, there are air conditioning units on the top of the Leading Tower of Pisa. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> like, just the funniest thing to look at and to see. And, like, that little, that interface between what some people are able to do and share out to the internet and what everyone's able to experience, to me, is super interesting. All right, now maybe I'm going to buy a gaming laptop. You should. I recommend it. Well, let me know if it plays Flight Simulator. Well, I'll update everybody next week. <laughs> The amount of dumb things I'm willing to buy right now is way higher than you think. Uh, it's just uh, retail therapy is how we're going to get through it. All right. We're going to take a break. We, we have a little bit of TikTok drama, a little bit of epic drama to talk about. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lauren, before we talk about this, uh, this other stuff, tell us about your new podcast. Yeah, thanks for bringing it up. So I have a new podcast for Wired. It's our new flagship show, and it's called Get Wired. We launched it late July, so we're about six episodes in, and it's been really, really fun so far. It's weekly. It runs on Monday mornings. And um, 
topics so far have really run the gamut. Our very first episode was about the Neighborhood Watch app Citizen. And in particular, we kind of went into the deep into the mind of a 12 year old crime chaser on the app, which was which was pretty fun and fascinating. We've talked about the ways in which animal rights activists are using different kinds of technology, including VR, to expose some of the abuses going on inside of factory farms. We had an interview with Bill Gates. We're going to be talking about the back to school fiasco in the United States. So, yeah, um, we're just trying to highlight, I guess, the best of wired stories in audio form. And so you're talking like, I mean, obviously you talk to Gates, but you're obviously talking to like wired reporters and building out what they're doing. Yeah. So I would say that occasionally we, we do plan to do high profile interviews, such as the Bill Gates interview, which was conducted by Wired uh, editor at large, Stephen Levy. But it's not I mean, the goal of it was not to launch an interview podcast. The goal was to find really compelling stories that have rich audio elements and then find ways to tell those stories. But as you guys know, from producing lots of things, podcasts, videos in particular at The Verge, um, Production takes a lot, right? And sometimes as you're reporting a story, you're not necessarily getting like that audio or that video right off the cuff. Like you have to go back and figure out ways to tell stories through those mediums. So most of the show is us like talking to fellow Wired reporters and saying like, tell us about the story you reported out and then using that audio to, to illustrate the story. So, like a really good example is the, the you had to run a two of the, the the people the activists that go in like invade like factory farms, and you're, you're talking to the reporter uh, and you like just played a short clip of the this horrific thing that was happening to the animals in the farm. But if it were just on the website, I probably wouldn't click play. Um, if it were you know I don't know on a video or something, I would have skipped over it or something. But like hearing it in the course of the conversation felt like way more visceral than uh, than it otherwise would have. So that, that worked really well. Thank you. Yeah, that's the goal. And, and like with the Citizen episode, for example, it's one thing, I think, to read a story about a 12-year-old crime chaser, but it's another thing to actually be in the car with him and his mom, since he's not even old enough to drive, <laughs> as they drive around his neighborhood south of San Francisco and and you know look for things that are happening according to the Citizen app. And here, sort of like, why he does this and what excites him about it. And also what does it mean for a future in which, uh, you know, there's sort of all these like little surveillance nodes around, right. In the form of smartphones. So, um, yeah, so there, the, we're trying to take a dive into our very strange present present and potentially even stranger future, um, in ways that feel compelling through audio. That's great. That was like my best pitch for it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, really I hope I hope you listen. I'm really excited about it. It's been a lot of work and a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you have a twin on the show? Is that I wish. Oh, wow. You know, I have to say, <laughs> first of all, I, w- I actually wish I had a clone. But um, I have to say, guys, the number one request I get through my Instagram DMs, on Twitter, through emails. To this day, I have now, it's been how many years since I left The Verge? Like two and a half years. People say, can you please do your twin videos again? Wow. I swear to God. And so I think one of these days, you know, I have a camera here. It's not a great camera, but I have a camera here. I have some lights. I think one of these days I'm going to have to figure out how to like self-produce this just for fun. I think what we have to do is organize like a fake beef. Like you make a twin video for Wired and then we pretend to be really mad that you you stole your format and we like create this. I don't know why I'm saying that loud in the podcast. If you are yes. someone out there who's engineered a beef yes. for publicity, like please get a hold of me. 
All right. Well, we do have to talk about some policy stuff. You got to eat our vegetables here. Today, the day we're recording, the TikTok saga is even more out of control than before. So if you'll remember, Trump initially issued a 45-day order. So September 20th, TikTok had to sell. There has been a lot of reporting about sort of the inside of that deal. Uh, Microsoft initially wanted a small stake. Then TikTok said, do you want a bigger stake? Then Trump said, you got to pay me a little bit on the side, which is real sketchy. And no one has ever really figured out what that meant. And Microsoft put out a statement saying we will compensate the United States Treasury, which is just weird. I'm just going to tell you, I have not talked to a single business person who understands that, except it made Trump happy. Fine. Uh, Then he issued a new order extending the deadline by another 45 days. So a 90 day clock, November, mid-November now is the deadline. All of that is hanging over the head of this company. Oracle has been reported to be very interested. The Trump administration is very cozy with Oracle. This is a real thing. Larry Elson's a donor. They host fundraisers. He does all the things. Oracle has emerged as a front runner. Last night, today, uh, TikTok CEO Kevin Myers quit. He just F this, basically, was his, uh, his note. Uh, if you don't recall, TikTok CEO Kevin Meyer was the guy who like launched Disney Plus and then didn't get tapped to be the next CEO of Disney, and so rage quit and ended up going to TikTok. It's more complicated than that. but Based on the reporting now, the parallel here is very clear. He did not know that he wasn't getting the Disney CEO job. He found out the morning that Chapek was getting the job that he didn't get the job, yep. so then he quit. And then it turns out, uh, Julia Borstein at CBC reported today, he was not involved in the talks with Oracle at TikTok. So you're like just a guy who's been cut out twice. You're like out. And like these deals do come with um, uh, like what's called key man provisions. So you acquire a company. Lauren was a key man when we acquired Recode. That's a real thing that happened. Uh, You acquire the company and you have to like make sure that certain key people come in. If you're Kevin Meyer, you're probably one of those people. And that probably means you're you have to stay there and work for a while. And you're like, I don't want to be one of Nadella's guys. I don't want to be one of Larry Ellison's guys. Like. I'm supposed to be a CEO. Right. And like he, he quit. So then that happened. And then on top of that happening, Walmart announced uh, that it was partnering with Microsoft on a deal to buy TikTok because of e-commerce, which I, seems horrible. I'm just going to say that is the worst idea I've ever heard. Turning TikTok into like a shopping experience for Walmart stuff. Don't do that. Mm, agree. I would say that if the three of us were to go into our um, uh, credit card history and tally up all of the amount of money we spent on crap we saw on Instagram ads, uh, I think I know who would have spent the most. Which would be who? Me? I think Neelai is what I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I buy garbage. Well, actually, that has been curtailed. Oh, yeah? Uh, good. Well, I, just, I started using TikTok more than Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think also like Walmart has really been trying to push a lot more into video, right? And so I guess it makes sense from that perspective. But I would worry that it would effectively be the quibification of Ooh. TikTok, Ooh. which would be like take this idea, take this idea or this concept that's already like working on a different platform, and then and then try to sort of add your twist to it in a way that's just not really going to work. 
because the kids are already in one place, right? They're yeah. already like doing the thing on the platform. So mm-hmm. then like if Walmart bought it, it would it suddenly become what is it? Walmart owns like Voodoo or something? No, so Walmart right? sold Voodoo to Fandango in April. And so I bet that it's like whoever was in charge of Voodoo at Walmart was just has just been like hanging out and is bored. It's like, hey, I, I know what I could do to keep my job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the quote from Walmart to CNBC, the way TikTok has integrated e-commerce and advertising capabilities in other markets is a clear benefit to creators and users. That's what they want. They want advertising e-com and like ooh, it seems gross. TikTok, the last bit of news, TikTok actually sued the Trump administration over the ban order saying that. Trump had not shown a colorable harm. I mean, this is all the stuff we talked about when the ban was issued. No one really knows what the theory of the case is against TikTok, except that it's from China. And if you're going to have that theory of the case, well, then you definitely need to have it against WeChat, which the Trump administration did. You probably need to have it against Tencent, uh, which importantly owns uh, half of everything in Hollywood. It's just a real thing, including, this is my segue, including 40% of Epic, makers of Fortnite and the Unreal Engine, so many streams cross that fight um, between Epic, Fortnite, Unreal, and Apple has continued to just like operate in high gear. Right. I mean, there at the moment. So we, we yeah. there's a lot always to talk about with Apple in the App Store. I, I, let me just ask you both this, though. Is it strange that Apple seems so content to be the villain? Because they're definitely acting more like the villain than they should be. Yeah. How so? Their statements are all pretty aggressive, right? Their actions are all pretty aggressive. Like this, fu- so that, you know, they, Epic did the thing, they en- enabled the payments, and then Apple said, we're going to cancel your developer account, including the developer account for Unreal Engine, which is a different, technically different company than the, there's Epic Sarl and then Epic, which makes Fortnite. Um, they retaliated against both. Epic filed this TRO. There's all these emails came out. Temp- temporary restraining order. Sorry, full lawyer speak. The point of a temporary restraining order is to maintain the status quo so that neither party can do something that can't be undone. And so the judge granted the restraining order with respect to Unreal Engine because if Apple kills the developer account for Unreal Engine, that is a bell you can't unring. That's harm that you can't undo. Whereas with if Epic wins the Fortnite lawsuit, they can calculate some damages. They can reinstate it. Like they can get back to it. So that all made sense. But the move to go after Unreal is like pretty aggro. Their statements about this stuff are pretty aggressive. You know, they they pushed on uh, WordPress to add in-app purchases. They've been pushing on other developers to add in-app purchases. It just seems like Apple's in a in a place where they don't seem I don't know sad. They don't they, they, like they don't seem like. They're trying to do the right thing, but it's so complicated and we're all going to work through it together. They're making it seem very much like this is our phone and we want a cut of everything that happens on the phone. And that's the price of the phone. And I, that is just like a I don't know. It, they just seem more aggressive and more happy to be the bad guy in some of these narratives than otherwise. Well, it's, it's it is incredibly compl- complicated. I can't help but wonder if Apple is just thinking about winning the war and not this particular battle. So like ultimately Apple has one of the largest app stores in the world. It's the only way that you can currently get applications on Apple products. It needs to maintain ultimate control of that app store, maintain the walled garden, right? And so I wonder if going after specific elements of that app store such as Unreal Engine or any kind of gaming, you know, Google Stadia we've talked about, or I'm sure you guys have talked about too, or something uh, like payments. 
is part of that strategy, but also ultimately some kind of head fake. Yeah, it's weird. Like there's there's a way in which these statements could be like, look, guys, we we set these rules. We got to apply them evenly. It leads to these unfortunate situations. We're going to try and figure it out. But for now, the rules are what they are. And if we make an exception here, it's going to be chaos. So like we're doing this thing, but we are working to work on it, to figure it out and make everybody happy. Just bear with us. But these are the rules. Instead, it's these are the rules. You made all kinds of money on our store because you were on there for free. And we're going to apply everything equally. And if you are just follow the rules and do what we say, then we're happy to have you back. Like the, the tenor of those statements is like remarkably aggressive. To me, what's like fascinating, I did a like a pretty basic newsletter on this. It's like that remarkably aggressive tone, like it plays maybe in the court. But it, and maybe it plays with like a general audience that's like loves their iPhone and understands that like you got to follow a contract when you like click a checkbox or like you agree to the iTunes. I don't know, whatever. But it is very off putting, I think, to a developer audience. And Steve Ballmer clapping his hands, yelling developers, 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 developers. Apple shouldn't take developers making stuff for their platforms for granted. They have been able to do that with the iPhone for a very, very long time, but it's no guarantee. And the thing that you don't know is like, it's like a a missed opportunity cost. Apple will never know if there is a developer who would have made something awesome for the iPhone, but saw all this stuff and was just like, ugh, that seems like a mess. And maybe not even consciously, just like subconsciously like, ugh, and went and did something else for some other platform. And like that stuff can accrete over time. And when it does, you eventually like, you eventually go over a hill and then people start thinking of you the way they thought of Microsoft in the bad old days of Microsoft, where like people would like spell Microsoft with a dollar sign for the S, ha, ha, ha. Uh, But you just saw it everywhere. And Apple could like, it could like lose that PR fight for that very important constituency. And it could be very damaging for them down the road. I completely agree with you on everything you just said. And I in particular tend to think that Anyone who has expertise in software who joins the argument and says, well, look, for as long as software has been distributed, the distributor has ultimately taken some kind of tax, right? Like back in the days of shrink shrink wrap software boxes sold on retail shelves that we used to go to and buy in stores, like there was also a tax on that too, right? And so, and Apple's cut is actually relatively fair compared to that. I think that's a bad analogy. I think that the way that software has changed, in particular, the distribution of software has changed over the past few decades, like warrants a different look at the way that these kinds of, you know, relationships, these revenue sharing relationships are structured. Um, and I do think that all of this is pretty bad for developers. But I think like the question that Eli was asking was like, why do we think Apple's being so aggressive? Not necessarily like, and I think like they're being aggressive because at the end of the day, what better way to get their messaging out than to have a f- giant fight with Epic, who makes one of the most popular games in the world, um, versus like having this fight with Hey from yeah. Basecamp, which yeah. like you know fifty people are aware of. I shouldn't say that. Like a lot of people are familiar with Basecamp and they use Basecamp, but it's like not the same level of argument. And so the Epic argument actually serves as a vehicle for them to like 
make a stronger argument for their their cases outside of congressional subcommittee hearings. But I don't understand why Apple wants this fight so badly. Like, Laura, the last time things started getting a little bit like hairy with uh, developers and the 30 percent tax and blah, 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 blah. You interviewed Phil Schiller about this switch to like the subscription thing and like the change from, well, it's 30 percent the first year and then you can be 15 percent after that. And they like right. they tried to like completely solve this this problem with the 30% tax and you can't have trial modes and, and, and like it was all messy. And they're like, well, look, subscriptions are going to solve it. And in some ways they were actually ahead of the curve there because like subscriptions are everywhere now. Um, but they were accommodating in a certain way. They still did it in a real Apple way, but like they saw that there was some sort of discontent and they tried to address it. This time they see that there's discontent and their answer is, no, these are the rules. We made this platform. It's ours and we get our cut. Yes, ultimately in 2016, when the App Store rolled out these changes led by Phil Schiller, um, they were, I think, on some level trying to appease and help out developers. But ultimately, the changes that year were about serving Apple. I mean, it was also the year that they rolled out search ads, right, in the App Store. And what they were doing was laying the groundwork for fundamentally what would be their own growing subscriptions business, which we've seen pretty much quarter over quarter, year over year since then has just completely grown. So yeah, sure, subscriptions maybe are great for the developers who want some kind of recurring revenue, and they want the confidence in that recurring revenue, and they get a better cut if they are able to to maintain that for a long period of time. But ultimately, it's, it's also all going back to Apple. Not all, but it's there's money going back to Apple there. Yeah, and on a consistent basis, like it's like, I mean, I hate subscription apps. I hate them. <laughs> I've got uh, I use Mailplane on my Mac still to mm-hmm. handle my Gmail on my calendar, and you know I got a new Mac and I installed Mailplane and I typed in my serial code and I didn't pay anyone any more money, and I, like that was such a normal thing to have happen. But now in 2020, I was like, this is great. Like, I already paid for this. I paid for it. It's done. I'm done paying for it now. It's over. And that push to subscription from Apple, instead of doing things developers wanted, like upgrade pricing, trials, all that stuff, they said, just make everybody subscribe. All that meant was they get a recurring cut of recurring revenue. It wasn't, we made it easier to operate on our store or to build your business. It was just a way for them to get charge a credit card more often. And that fundamentally is just where the iPhone has gone, where every interaction that you have on your phone or everything you do on your phone accrues some money to Apple in some way. And I think that's why they're being this aggressive, because it's, they're, it's existential for them. Because they can't sell any more iPhones. Because everybody who has an iPhone has an iPhone. Right. Until the 5G upgrade cycle hits or until their AR glasses hit. Like They're not going to get a big wave of new purchases they're just sort of like every two years, most of the people who have the two-year-old iPhone get a new iPhone. Or now in the time of COVID, they don't because yeah. they're at home. Right. And so like there's the amount of money they're trying to squeeze out of the platform at every corner. It just seems like they're not being quite as honest about it as they could in a way that would justify the aggressive actions they're taking against Fortnite. Now, Fortnite did pick the fight, right? They, they absolutely picked the fight. But I, I continue to think they picked the fight kind of thinking they were going to win. And they might not, the way this, like, it's going. Uh, By the way, uh, uh, this is going to be weird because this is, I have to change the way I say this. Uh, disclosure, since we're talking about App Store stuff, uh, my wife works for an App Store. She works for the App Store for Facebook Labs, which is a division <laughs> of Facebook, oh my God. Uh, which makes the Oculus headsets. <sighs> no longer called Oculus, apparently. You got through it. I did. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, there's not much to say. Not much else has happened after that 
restraining orders. Again, the point of the restraining orders is to maintain the status quo. Status quo is maintained. Well, yes and no. Status quo is maintained, but Fortnite is like already getting worse on the iPhone. Like it already like feels like there's fewer people on it and it doesn't have the new content. Yeah, the new content is Marvel. I also think Tim Sweeney kind of knew everyone's at home and the number of people playing Fortnite on their phones versus playing on a PC or a console is low. Right. Uh, the, you know, the flip side to this is uh, so well played to them, right? They're, they're, they've reduced the risk. Flip side of this is Google, and it just doesn't seem like the Google fight is as. Again, if I was Sundar or anyone at Google, I'd be like, we're going to just see what happens with Apple. Like, why would they want to be in this fight as aggressively as Apple is? But there hasn't been any news on the Google front as near as I can tell. Not really, no. I mean, they also kicked them off the Android store. But um, other than that, it's been relatively quiet. But there's a trial there, too. So at some point. Yeah, I mean, at the at the restraining order uh, hearing, I think they asked how long they needed to get ready for trial, and Apple's answer was like ten months. So we got a ways to go. Yeah, there's going to be so many blog posts, you guys, so many podcasts <laughs> and blog posts before this thing even begins. All right, we've gone way too long, Lauren. Thank you for being here. You had another podcast. She's talking at Gadget Lab. Yeah, so we have two podcasts at Wired. We have the brand new one, Get Wired, that I'm hosting every Monday. It drops, and then we have another podcast that's been. I mean, it's been gone for at least four or five years now called Gadget Lab. And I co-host that every Friday with Michael Calori, a senior editor at Wired. And that's our more consumer-focused, gadget-focused podcast. So check that out as well. Great. And thank you so uh, much for having me on. This has been really fun. It's a good note. Our, our Verge expats are uh, they're always welcome back on the show. It's whenever you want. It's great to see you again. Uh, you can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless. Dieter's at Backlon. Lauren is at Lauren Good. Dieter's got a newsletter called Processor, verge.com slash newsletter. Uh, all this TikTok epic uh, Facebook stuff, uh, Casey writes about in the interface. You can check that out, uh, verge.com slash interface. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday with the interview show, uh, next Friday with the chat show. Just a lot going on. We'll see you soon. Rock and roll. Wear a mask. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.